0: And worship team. Good morning, everyone. As soon as the light changes, I'll be passing through here. Here we go. <laughs> I got a, got a red light. Thanks. <laughs> I want to welcome you. And if you're visiting with us, extend a personal welcome to you. A couple things. First of all, it's exciting. God's really working. The Holy Spirit has indeed been working mightily in our church. Last week, we had 200 children. And knowing what Jesus said about children and bringing them to Christ, that's a good thing. That's good news. The bad news is, with children and growth comes what we call growing pains. The growing pains are this. We need more help with the children. Now, as in immediately. I took a turn three weeks ago. I taught Sunday school to the three-year-olds. There were three adults, and there were 33 kids. That was rough. We each had 11. The three leaders, we were huddled in the corner. (laughs) crying waiting for our moms to come and pick us up so if you this is first of all last week we had 24 people go through kid safe training so we, we have stringent you know that's just the way it is nowadays so that's great but that's not going to be right away in the meantime if you are Kidsafe safe certified we really need you to help out more if you can we're not asking you to sign up and be the teacher we're not asking you to do it each week even if everybody will just take a turn there's a table up here, and after the service, Laura Moses, Moses will be up there. If you'll just come up and say, hey, I'm kid safe, um, I'll do a week, or the, the dates and all are there. We have teachers, we just need more people to help out. And so, we have a group of, we're kinda like at the Alamo, we have troops on the way, but in the meantime, we need some people who can, I hate to use the term, go to battle, because that's such a poor way of describing. But it's kinda true, right, working with children, so. Um, be in prayer for our children's ministry. All right, if you would, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming. Last week, we began our study of John, and we said that we're going to learn about the abundant life. Feel free to keep one of these Bibles if you don't. I want to start by reading a quote about the Gospel of John by a man named Donald Carson. He said, perhaps more than any other, the Gospel of John has been used by Christians in every age and for a great array of purposes. For example, he says, students distribute free copies to their friends in hopes of introducing them to the Savior. That happened to me. A friend of mine invited me to church. They gave me a Gospel of John. I took it home. I couldn't stop reading. Took it to school. Couldn't stop reading it. God used the Gospel of John to bring me to Christ. Elderly Christians on their deathbed ask that parts of this Gospel be read to them. You know, on your deathbed, who doesn't want to hear, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I'll go and prepare a place for you and come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Academics write dissertations on the relationship between John and other literature. Children memorize entire chapters. You're like, really? Yeah. Some of you go, my kid can't even memorize a verse. They could. They could. I mean, I understand there might be learning disabilities, but I don't think we, we invest in that. Children can, and guess what? Adults can memorize verses too. So many people have memorized scriptures, choruses based on their truths. Countless sermons have been based on this book or some part of it. And and then he says this. It stood near the center of a Christological controversy in the fourth century. In the fourth century, there was a man by the name of Arius who because it says in John 3.16 that Jesus is God's begotten son, and for other reasons, he decided Jesus is not God. And so he put forth his teachings that Jesus is not divine, he's not equal with God, that God created him. And as the church studied using particularly the Gospel of John, and they met together, they banished Arius as a heretic. Now ironically, those of you who, who know uh, people from the Jehovah's Witness background, all that is is just a, a modern-day resurrection of Arianism. Same thing, denying the deity of Christ, and it's already been banished and from, from the church as heresy, and the Gospel of John was helpful in fighting against that. Then he says this, Until recently, the best-known verse of the Bible was John 3.16. Most people didn't know anything about the Bible could say John 3.16. He said, but I think that's been displaced today by Matthew 7.1. Judge not lest you be judged. He might be right. I don't know. He said a toddler could recite the verses. And in this gospel, the love of God is so dramatically seen through Jesus Christ that a great theologian named Karl Barth is alleged to have commented that the most profound truth he ever heard was, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. So I'm excited about the gospel of John because... God used it in my life, and I'm praying that he's going to use it in the life of our church. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And I mentioned last week that eternal life in John is not so much length, it's not so much quantity, that's true, you'll live forever, but it's quality, it's a type of life. People who have eternal life, that's a relationship. So Jesus said in John 17, Father... I've given them eternal life. This is what eternal life is. They know you and they know me. That's what eternal life is, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the fruit of that eternal life is, yes, when we die, we don't have to be afraid because we're going to live forever. But now I can have this abundant eternal life in my relationship with Christ, characterized by several things. Joy. Jesus said in John 15, I'm saying these things because... I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. Jesus wants us to experience peace in this abundant life. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. My peace I give to you. Not the peace that the world gives, but my peace. Unity. In John 17, as Jesus prayed, he said, Father, I pray that they might be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Like, like when Jesus and the Spirit and the Father get along, in the same way, could, could we have some of that on earth in our marriage, in our families, in our church? Yeah, that's part of the abundant life. And then love. Jesus says, greater love in the Gospel of John has no one than to lay down your life for your friends. But then out of that love that he showed us, then that love spills over and we learn how to love others. And he says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another, because by this, the world will know that you're my disciples. And then finally, we have this communion that, with God that leads us to a great hope. Hey, Jesus is coming again. He's preparing a place for us, but he's coming again. And so I hope and pray that you'll pray for an abundant life personally, not money and necessarily always good times, but a deep, rich, fulfilling relationship with Christ. So my purpose through this series is, is, there's several things. Number one, I want to strongly encourage everybody to be reading John, okay? So even if you go, I already read that, or I'm reading uh, Chronicles right now, that's good. But if you could, as a church, I would love for us to read John together. I want to help you to understand and apply the gospel of John. Remember the old adage, teach a man to fish? You know, feed a, or give a man a fish, fed him for a day. Teach him to fish, fed him for a lifetime. The real qua- caveat of that is teach a man a fish. You'll never see him on the weekends. But this case, I'm trying to help you to, to learn. The pastor's job is not to read the Bible for you, to equip the saints so that, so that you're learning to read it more deeply and that we can be encouraged together. I want to encourage you to lead studies in John. Some of you have already shared with me, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do this with my family. We'll talk about a chapter, or some of you might get some guys at work and say, hey, how many of you want to just during lunch break read, read the Gospel of John together, or maybe with some of your neighbors? My wife and I had a, a Bible study with our neighbors for almost a year. There were about seven people came, and we went through the Gospel of John. i going to try to give you some tools to do that. I want to urge you to invite your unbelieving friends to either come and study John, listen to the, the, the sermons on John, or even... You go through John with them or invite them to read John. It would be fun to have families learning scriptures together from the book of John. So why? Well, first of all, I want to do this series in hopes and invite you to pray with me that many people will be saved through our studies of the gospel of John as we go through the gospel. Be praying for that. Try to pray for that every day, that the power of the Spirit... And, and it doesn't mean they have to be saved right here in this room on Sunday morning. That's great. We'll call this a birthing room. People get saved. But we're all midwives. Go out and deliver spiritual children all over the place. I remember witnessing to a, a friend, and he came back later, and he said to me, he said, you know, I didn't get it when you were telling, telling me, but he said, I moved to Chicago, and one day I was in an airplane, and I was reading the Gospel of John, and he said, 647, Verily, verily, I say to you, he who, who believes in me has eternal life. I got it. He was born in an airplane, right? So, so the idea is that God will be bringing people to Christ as we're studying John. And then as a church, we're going to be better equipped to live out our mission. See, the Gospel of John, Jesus left us with a mission. As the Father sent me, so send I you. What does that look like? As Jesus said, I pray that they'll be in the world but not of the world. And what does it look like to work together with God as the Spirit works through us to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, to learn how to pray, to learn how to raise our family in Christ. And then I want some of these things to be deepened. First of all, our love for Jesus, right? There's never a place where we love him too much. What we need to guard against is when we lose that first love. The Gospel of John ends with Jesus saying to Peter, Hey, Pete, do you love me? And so, as we're going through John, I hope that our love for Jesus will deepen. And then our obedience and worship of Jesus will be strengthened. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. So, you've heard me tell a story of a friend of mine who said, pray for my mom. She loves the Lord, and she's living with this guy that's not her husband. And I said, well, then she doesn't love the Lord. He goes, yeah, yeah, what do you mean? She's saved. I said, well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Now, that doesn't mean she's not saved, but, but loving Jesus should result in obedience to Jesus. Jesus said, he who has my words and keeps them. That, that's what he wants for us. And so, and then our worship of Jesus, that, 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 that we love him more like the blind man. We, we fall down and worship him. We adore him like Thomas, my Lord and my God. We behold his glory, as John says, full of grace and truth. And we experience these waves of, of grace and, and then that our, that our, our faith is strengthened, that, that instead of being like wavering, doubting Thomases, that, that we become confident and assured and, and trusting that no matter what comes our way, Jesus will never leave us and, and that we'll enter in and, and, and begin to discuss the gospel with people and not be embarrassed to say, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. And then even that our hope of his coming again will be Awaken and we'll continue to think about some things. So I, I want to pray and then I'm going to ask you if you have a pen, I want you to write down some things because I'm going to give you kind of a guided reading thing. We're going to read through John, but I want I want to give you some things to look for as you're reading through John. These are some things that I want you to look for. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. And as we begin to go through John and continue through John. May the Holy Spirit do exactly what you said in John. May he guide us into all the truth. May he bring to our remembrance what you've taught us. May he teach us. May he comfort us. May he disclose Jesus to us. You told us in the word, Father, that the Spirit will not speak of his own, but he will glorify Jesus. And Father, you said in John that when Jesus is lifted up, He will draw men to himself. So we want to focus on Jesus this morning. May your Holy Spirit bring glory to God and blessing to our church. And may rivers of living water flow out through me and through all of us to our family and to our community. Father, we pray for our country today. We thank you that Jesus reigns over America and that he will put in office whoever he pleases, but we plead with you to put the best president in office who will at least point us more towards the things that you truly care about, like abortion and, and justice and, and purity and morality and righteousness. Father, we pray that the church in America will be revived, that we will, we will be godly, that we will be different, that we will not be compromising, and may you use John in our church to flow and to to encourage us as a church to live for him. Thank you for what you're going to teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, I want to mention that as you're reading John, bear in mind, as I said last week, it's very different from the synoptics. The early church pretty early on put together one book that had the four gospels in it, okay? Now, we can't no one could say for sure that john read matthew mark and luke but most scholars feel like he had exposure to that so a couple things to note about john it's very unique from the other three we said it was probably written 30 years later so john leaves a lot of stuff out that are in the other gospels so for example john doesn't have any parables of jesus what no good samaritan John doesn't have the transfiguration where Jesus stood on a mountain and and began to glow. John doesn't talk about um, any demons being cast out. There's no casting out of demons in John. There's no temptation of Jesus. And ironically, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're always talking about the kingdom of God. John only mentions the kingdom of God twice in the whole book. But instead, he mentions eternal life. So he leaves a lot out. Donald Carson points out as well that he has a lot of unique miracles. There's a lot of miracles in John that aren't in the other Gospels. All of John chapter 2, 3, and 4, the woman at the well, um, the, um, Nicodemus, all of that's new. And then John, more than the other three Gospels, really just hammers away at the explicit deity of Christ. Like You can't read John without going, okay, John was really clear that Jesus is God. So I want you to turn to chapter 20, because what I want you to think about now is the purpose of John. Why does John say he wrote this book? In John chapter 20, remember now, he's had a long time. He's been preaching about Jesus. He's been evangelizing. He's heard the arguments that Jews have. He's trying to bring people to Christ. And so he says, look. Many other signs, verse 30, Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples. So he goes, I'm not telling you every miracle he did. I'm just telling you he did a lot of signs. And I didn't write them in this book. But he says, these have been written, the ones I did pick. I wrote this book so that you may believe. Okay, now I want to stop with that for a moment. You may believe. Christianity has content. And this is a real problem in America anymore. Christians don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Charles Spurgeon tells about a story of asking an elderly man. He goes, what do you believe anyway? And the guy says, I believe what my church believes. He said, well, what's your church believe? He said, same thing I believe. He said, well, what is it that you both believe? He said, the same thing. So a lot of times it's like, yeah, I believe. Well, what do you believe? There's content. He goes, I want you to believe certain things. What? He said, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God. So so you got to think about that. John was not just writing to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He's writing to a group of people who already had a messianic understanding, a Christological hope. In other words, people at that time were going, who is the Messiah? People aren't asking that anymore, right? But in his time, there was a great expectation that there's a Messiah coming, and they were very mixed up about who he was and what he was going to do. But John says, I'm writing this book so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that God promised in all these Old Testament passages. But in addition, he says, I want you to understand that he's the son of God. This is what I want you to believe. Jesus is Messiah and he's the son of God. And in John, son of God means that he's divine. In other words, that he's deity, that he's equal with God. So, for example, in John chapter 5, They're ready to hit Jesus with stones to try to kill him. He goes, why are you killing me? What do you you want to kill me for? He goes, because you called yourself the son of God. Therefore, you're making yourself equal with God. And so at this time, to call Jesus the son of God is to basically say, yeah, I I believe Jesus is God. Now, you talk to Jehovah's Witness, they'll they'll meander around. But just ask them this, do you worship Jesus? And that, "No, no, we don't do that. Because they don't believe that Jesus is God, that he is divine. So, but then we want to talk about what does it mean to believe? John says, I'm writing these things so that you might believe. In John, believing is far more than going, yeah, I don't believe in Santa, but I do believe in Jesus. It's this deep, living trust in who Jesus is and that everything he said is true. It's, It's a trust that says, hey, I'm willing to turn from darkness Bible says many won't believe on him because they love darkness. They won't come to the light. It's a trust that says, I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey him. I want to serve him. I love him. He has forgiven me. It's, 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 a, it's this passionate sense that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not just somebody that raised my hand in ninth grade. So John's inviting people to truly trust Jesus Christ and to become transformed by it. And by the way, he says, and when you do this, you have life. So John, why'd you write your book? Because I want people to get saved. I want them to believe and thereby have eternal life. So as a result of that, he shows a lot of examples. He shows Nicodemus and what it looks like to gradually come to a genuine belief that follows Christ. He shows the woman at the well and Jesus saying to her, hey, you've already had five husbands. And hey, I think you're a prophet. Wait, He must be the Messiah, and the the Samaritan woman gets saved. We have the blind man. Who is he, Lord? And Jesus says, I am he, and he believes. We have Thomas. "Ah, I don't believe. My Lord and my God. So John's going to give us a lot of examples of saying, this is what it looks like to come and believe in Christ. But not only did John want people to invite them to come to faith, he wanted them to continue in faith. See, one of the marks of if you have real faith is real faith keeps right on going. It doesn't stop. I've sadly seen so many people that have dipped in the pool of baptism right here who are long gone. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if you continue in my words, then you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, so John wants people not just to initially believe, but to, be, to keep believing all the way to the end of their lives. So, a couple things to pay attention to in John. John. So you're taking notes. Watch for the word signs. Okay, in in the book of John, there's a real emphasis on signs. So John says, I could have picked other signs, but I picked these. Signs are significant because signs are designed to lead to faith. Jesus says, if you don't believe my words, believe on account of my works. Yeah, there might be five of us all going, I'm the son of God. I'm I'm the son of God. But nobody else is feeding 5,000. Nobody else is walking on water. Nobody else is healing the blind man. So, so John is saying, pay attention to these signs. They're, they're pointing us to a credible witness. Now, ironically, in the midst of all these signs, in John 4:48, Jesus says to the nobleman, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. It's kind of like he's frustrated. See, God doesn't want you to believe in Jesus because of signs. That's like entry-level, lowest faith there is. Genuine, deep, growing biblical faith is more like this. Jesus says to Thomas, oh, now you believe? Now that you're touching me and you see me? He goes, now do you believe? He says, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And so, but, but, but see this theme of signs affirming your faith. You don't have to be a moron to be a Christian. You don't have to take your brain out. There is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is indeed credible and you can trust him. Another thing to watch for is, Jesus has a lot of I am statements. Seven different statements like Jesus will say, I'm the bread of life. And when, when you're reading through, and you see one of them, why did he say that? I wonder what that means. Why did he say, I am the good shepherd? Why did he say, I'm the resurrection and the life? And then one time, he stops with I am. In John chapter 8, they said to Jesus, you don't even know Abraham. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And there he was most likely making a claim to being Yahweh, the the, the great I am of Exodus 3. And so as you're reading, look for these I am statements and kind of meditate on them. And then notice that when you're reading John, John's very passionate about the consequences of unbelief right? Today, we're sort of like pluralistic and like, hey, what do you believe? It's, we're all good. Whatever you believe is okay, as long as you believe something, or you don't have to believe anything. But John says, look, if you respond rightly to Jesus by believing with your heart and following, you're blessed. But if you don't, John three thirty six says this, he who believes in Jesus has eternal life. But if you do not obey Jesus, you will not see life, but the wrath and anger of God abides on you. You think uh, pig pen had it bad with a cloud of dirt over him? How'd you like to live under the wrath of God? Jesus said in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. So you go, why doesn't everybody believe and follow Jesus? What knucklehead would not turn and follow Jesus? Well, well, that's the other thing that John's going to show us. There's reasons why people don't want to follow Jesus. One of them is fear. Fear of what people will think. In John 7:13, it says, No one spoke openly of Jesus for fear of the Jews. And so there's this sense of, of a division in John. Three times in John it says, if you believe in him, you get put out of the synagogue. That's one word in Greek, put out of the synagogue. Well, what did that mean back then? In that, in that culture, remember when, Jews, when Christians were first getting saved, they were still in the synagogue with Jews. But over time, the Jews came to a point where anyone who confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, you got to count the cost because you're getting expelled. And if you were put out of the synagogue, it often meant that you were expelled by your family. You're dead to them. You were unable to get a job. You were rejected by your community. This was going to lead to great emotional financial maybe even physical hardship so three times in John it stresses this great fear that people would be put out of the synagogue and then the other thing is that we as humans we want affirmation we want approval we want acceptance from others jesus said it this way in John 5 how can you believe in me when when you're wanting to receive glory from one another and you're not seeking the glory that comes from the one and only God. See, we all are, are prone to live on the level of horizontal. What will people think of me? And Jesus goes, how can you believe and follow me when you're worried about what everybody else thinks? You're not seeking what does he think. And so we'll see this in John. So what, what, what's going to happen is you're going to read the word division, division, division. See, Christ polarizes. He, he cuts to the chase and people are either for him or against him. You're with him or you're not with him. You can't kind of be in between and sort, of, and sort of scoot along on the fence. If you're not for him, if you're not all in, you're against him. And so it tells us in John seven forty three, there arose a division because of him. In John nine sixteen, it says, the Pharisees, the religious leaders said, Jesus isn't from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But other people said... How can he do these miracles if he's a sinner? And then it says, and there arose a division among them. And then in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, it says, there arose a division among the Jews. And you know what's sad? That that division not only happens outside the church, it happens within the church. Because there's a lot of people that just sit. Charles Spurgeon, at the end of his sermons, he used to say, divide, divide, divide. Are you in or are you out? Are you for him? Or you just sitting there. Do you believe or don't you believe? And so pay attention to this tension. And then also notice that John begins to help us to understand the Trinity. See, John is helping us to struggle with this profound sense of there's one God, but he exists in three persons. That's, That's mysterious. And you're like, well, that's why I, you know, I, I try not to think about that stuff. You better think about that stuff. My, my four-year-old granddaughter, many times I've taught her that Jesus is God, and she gets that. I think I told you last week she's watching The Little Mermaid. She goes, why is she confused about this, want to be part of this world? Jesus made the world. But this week I was showing her Bible story about the baptism of Jesus. And by the way, if you haven't bought that little Bible story book for kids that we sell, and we don't make any money on it, that's a great book. Best kids book I ever saw. It's our bestseller. You can read it at night as adults. The point, every story points to Jesus. They don't just go, this is uh, David and Goliath. So next time the bully picks on you, sock him in the mouth. I'm going, no, that's not what that passage is for. It points to Jesus. But I'm showing her, here's Jesus in the water. And I said, and guess what? God said, this is my son. And she goes, wait. She goes, Poppy, how, how, here's God. How could, he, how could he be up here? She's pointing at Jesus. Uh, never mind, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> she says, are there two gods? Right? And so, so, as you're reading through John, notice that Jesus is both identified as God, but he's distinct from God. He's with God and he is God. And, and he says, I and the Father are one. And, and we note the relationships, the subordination of Jesus while he's on earth when he says, the, I only do what the Father shows me and, and how the Father and the Son send the Spirit. So, Don't shy away from from looking at some of these truths in the Gospel of John. And then another interesting thing I want you to pay attention to is the phrase, the hour, the hour, the hour. In John chapter 2, they run out of wine, and Jesus' mom says, what should we do? And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. You know, whenever my wife wants me to take the trash out, I say, hey, honey, my hour is not yet. No, no. Whereas one preacher once tried this one, Acts chapter 6. He goes, I can't leave the word of God to wait on tables. No, that's not what that's talking about. But there's this theme of Jesus' hour. In John chapter 7, he goes, my time is not yet at hand. He later says, no one grabbed him and arrested him because his hour hadn't come. In John 8, it says, no one seized him because his hour had not come. In John 12, Jesus suddenly says, Father, the hour has come. And you're going, what hour? So so pay attention to this hour in John, this this significant event when Christ is crucified. In John 13, it says, before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And, 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 And right before he's arrested in the garden, he's praying in John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, and so so watch for this thematic event that the, the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension and exaltation of Christ. This great hour, this great moment in history. And then another thing I want to encourage you to do is actually keep a notebook. So as you're reading through John, keep a notebook and just make note of what you're learning about theology in John. So so let me just give you one example. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? As you're reading through the Gospel of John, you come to chapter 7, and Jesus says, If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He says, The water that I give you will will be in your, your belly, and it'll flow out like living water. And then John says this, This he spoke about the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit was not yet given For Jesus was not yet glorified. And then you keep reading, and Jesus in the upper room says, Guys, I know you're really sad, but don't be sorrowful, because I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to send him. He's going to comfort you. He's going to lead you into the truth. It's to your advantage that I send the Spirit. And you're like, wait, wait, what do you mean send the Spirit? Is the Spirit up in heaven? I thought David said the spirit is everywhere. Where shall I go from your spirit? So something significant. So you're learning new truths about the Bible as you're reading. So in John, Jesus says, the spirit is with you, but he will be in you. And you're going, wow, what does that mean? With you, but he will be in you. And then at the end of the book, in chapter 20, Jesus says to the disciples, receive the spirit. And he blows on them. And you're going, wait, that's not Pentecost. And so, as you're doing that, doesn't mean you're going to get every answer, but you're going, what did I learn? For example, the devil. What do I learn about the devil as I'm reading through John? We've got demons flying all over the place in the other Gospels, but, but in John, he develops a deeper theology of Satan, what Satan's purposes are, how unbelievers are of their father, the devil, how the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray him, how, how well, enough said. So keep a notebook and just pay attention and look for some of these things. Now, the last thing is I'm going to spend the next maybe 15 minutes giving you what I'm going to call a guided reader, okay? And this is why I encourage you to get a study Bible. Imagine just picking up a book in the library. It's all white, okay? There's no words on the cover. There's no table of contents. There's no preface. There's no page numbers. There's no paragraph breaks. There's no chapter separations. It's just... Words just run together. You'd be like, man, I'm confused. And then would, would you try to read it like this? Well, let me just open here and read a, a paragraph. Huh. And then I'll read this one today. No, of course not. So, so if you're reading a book, usually you look at the table of contents. You go, well, what's, the, what's this book about and, and how does it flow? And so there's not one perfect way to break down the Gospel of John, but, but I'm gonna put this up here because I want this to kind of guide you as you're reading through John and then sort of develop your questions, your thoughts, and maybe you're leading a study on John. You can sort of guide people in this. Now, m- many theologians break John into about four or five sections. A lot of them will, will make the prologue, this introduction, a separate part of the book. Okay, and We did that last week. We saw the introduction to John where he summarizes these key themes. But remember, in John chapter 1, it said this. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. So as you're reading through John, you'll note something very interesting. In the first four chapters, he's very warmly welcomed. Looks like most everybody likes Jesus. How could you not like Jesus? He's he's well received. So for example, in chapter 1, Pastor John's going to begin next week in verse 19. John the Baptist goes, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And the disciples begin to follow him. And and Andrew finds Philip, and they find Nathaniel, and they find Peter. And and Jesus is warmly received through the witness of John the Baptist. And then Jesus gets invited to a wedding, and he does a wonderful miracle. and, And the disciples see the glory of Jesus, and people are fascinated and blessed in Cana of Galilee. And then you have, oops, my bad, you have Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the great religious leader, he comes to Jesus. And, and note that it says he came at night, right? So at night, clearly in John, is because he was afraid that others would see him identifying with Christ. Because later in the book, at the end of the book, in John 19, when Pilate said, Go ahead and kill him, you didn't want to cross Pilate, and you didn't want to be associated with Jesus. It says, the same Nicodemus who came by night now came into the presence of Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So we see Nicodemus, and what does it mean to to be born again and to receive Christ? And then we see this wonderful story of the Samaritan woman and how Jesus is teaching us how to, to take familiar subjects and point people towards the life that he offers them. And, and then at the end of chapter 4, we have the miracle of the nobleman who says, Jesus, you got to come to my house and heal my boy. And Jesus says, I don't need to be there. He says, go your way. In other words, my word's enough. And it says, and the man went, and, and, he, and, he, and he found out that it, his son was healed at the very moment Jesus said that, and he believed. And so you're like, hey, this is good. And again, this is just a survey. There's so much more. So, so when you're reading in John chapter 1, you're going to learn stuff. For example, I learned from reading John chapter 1, I didn't know this, I didn't know that John the Baptist did not know that his cousin Jesus was the Messiah, that he was divine. I thought he knew that, because he says, Jesus, you should baptize me. But in John chapter 1, we read this. John the Baptist said, I didn't know him, but God told me, as you're baptizing people, When you see one upon whom the Spirit descends, know that this is he. And John says, when I saw that happen, I came to realize that this is the Son of God. And so learn and grow and see how others witness and receive Christ. You think, man, this is going to get better and better, but it doesn't. Suddenly, in chapters 5 through 12, Jesus is opposed. He came to his own. But his own did not receive him. And so in chapter 5, we see Jesus healing a lame man. He comes and asks what appears to be one of the dumbest questions on earth. Do you want to get well? Why in the world would you ask a paralyzed guy? Do you want, no, I don't. I like me. But we'll talk about that. But instead of being excited, Jesus says, go and sin no more so something worse doesn't come upon you. And eventually the man appears to be a tattletale and gets Jesus persecuted, and and by the middle of the Gospel of John, they're trying to, or chapter 5, they're trying to kill him. They're like, what? And then you come to chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000. This is great. And Jesus sees all these people following him. He goes, you're not following me for the right reasons. He says, you should be following me to get bread. I'm the bread of heaven. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Many people said, you crazy? This guy's a nut. I'm not... I'm not even following you anymore, Jesus. He didn't go, oh, come on, man. Come on back. He looked at Peter. He said, you leaving too? And if you know the Gospel of John, remember what Jesus said? That's my bread and butter. He said, Lord, where can I go? You got the words of life. And those of us who have been awakened to Christ, we cling to him, right? We lash ourselves to the cross and say, ease me into the kingdom of God. Lord, you've got the words of life. But they're hating him over bread. And then Jesus at Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, he he, he says, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But again, there's this great opposition and rejection. And then in chapter 8, they begin to tell Jesus, Abraham's our father. He goes, no, he's not. Oh, yes, he is. No, he's not. The devil's your father. Because if Abraham was your father, you would love me. The devil's your father. You do the works of your devil. You want to kill me just like he does. And they say, you're not even old enough. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus shows opposition over Abraham. And then the blind man. Who couldn't get excited about healing a blind man? Jesus heals a blind man. You would think everybody would be glad about that. But nope, he's a sinner because he did it on Saturday. He healed somebody on the Sabbath. And I love the blind man. I'm, with the, I'm in with the blind man, aren't you? He says, well, hearing is a wonderful thing. God doesn't hear sinners. Nobody else ever heard the blind man. He says this, I know one thing. I was lost. I was blind, but now I see. And here comes this great song, Amazing Grace, out of this very story. And I love the blind man because they boot him out of the synagogue. And he's walking the street. Singing the same old song. He knows every crack in these dirty sidewalks of Jerusalem. And Jesus comes along and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, Who is he, Lord? And he says, I am he. And he worships him. And then Jesus begins to talk about sheep. And he gives this great claim that he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Satan wants to come and kill and steal and destroy. But Christ wants to come and give life. And you would think they would be so glad, but instead they're, they're wanting to kill him. And again, you know why you don't believe in me? Because you're not my sheep. And then he gave a beautiful phrase. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me. And they follow me. See, maybe right now, somebody's going, oh man, when's this guy going to stop talking boring stuff about the Bible? But if you're one of his sheep, You're like, feed on, brother. I want to hear the words of Jesus. Years ago, I was preaching to our our youth at an outreach downstairs. And some of you heard this story. A little boy, probably by middle school, this kid comes up to me um, when I got done preaching. He did something simple from the Gospel of John. He says, mister, can I tell you something? He says, this is my first time I ever came to church. He said, my mom, I asked her to take me, but she wouldn't take me. This is my first time. He says, when you started reading those words of Jesus, he said, I knew they were true. He points at all the other kids who've been coming since childhood. And he goes, I don't know what them kids believe, but mister, I believe. And his mom comes up to me because he was moved and he spent like an hour with one of our workers after. His mom says, I don't know what you did to my boy. And I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. But unless you change your attitude, you're going to have a millstone around your neck. Because here's a kid that wants to find Jesus and you won't even bring him to church. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They follow me. They don't just go, yeah, I raised my hand in third grade. They follow me. And you know what's great about that? If Jesus has awakened you and you trust him and you know him, you're in better hands than all state. Because Jesus said, they follow me and I give them eternal life, and no one shall pluck them out of my hands. No one shall pluck them out of my father's hands. And then Jesus is Lazarus. Who couldn't get excited about a dead man coming to life? Who wouldn't be happy that this man who's laying in, a, in, in, his, in his death clothes comes out and comes alive again? Who doesn't want to follow Jesus? And it says they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus because he was bad publicity. You're going... Is the world gone mad? Yes. Because we live in a world that's dominated by sin and darkness and Satan. And the only way out is through Jesus. There's only one ladder to heaven, and it's not Jacob's ladder. It's Jesus. He said in John chapter 1, Henceforth you shall see the angels of God descending and ascending upon me. If you want to go to heaven, I guarantee you, you'll never set foot there if you don't come through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to God but through me. So you flee as fast as you can to Jesus and he'll welcome you into the father's home. But not them. They want to kill him. And then finally, the opposition is summarized. John says, in spite of all these miracles, they still wouldn't believe. Just as it is written. And you're like, could somebody tell a Pastor it's 1213 and he's only on chapter 12? And last time I did the math, there's 21 chapters. Got it. But man, if I if, if you came back next week and said, Pastor, we read 1 to 12, give us some more, I'd be very pleased. So I'll just throw this out there. Or will I? No, I won't. Ah! No, I won't. <laughs> it wasn't God's will. So. <laughs> I promise that was not planned. (laughs) Now, I realize some of you will actually say this, because you'll say to me, Pastor, you keep preaching. I stay here. I want to hear the word. The thing is, we got 200 kids out there. It's back. Oh, there you go. Um, So there's 200 children we have, and so we want to be sensitive to our children's workers, of which many of you, I'm hoping, are going to sign up and help out. But in the meantime, let me close by inviting you to just go, you know, as, as Pilate said when he brought Jesus out, he said, behold the man. Behold the man, and I I present to you Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. Are are you in? I'm dividing right now. Will you come to Christ? Will you forsake your religion and say, oh, it's not about good works, it's about Jesus. And I don't care what mom and dad say or what anybody else says. I have decided I believe in Christ. God is opening my eyes. I receive you, Jesus. Jesus. I'm turning from darkness to be saved. And and if you want to talk more about that, maybe you're like Nicodemus, you just need some more time, but let us help you. But if you're a believer, pray that God will, will, will quicken all of us as a church, that this abundant life will spill out into our community, into our families. Pray for me as I preach. I feel the Spirit moving and working, but I need prayer. Pastor John will be preaching. We need the prayers of the people of God and the movement of the Spirit. So let's close and we'll be on our way. Father... Thank you so much for the word, the word of life, the living word, Jesus, and the written word, scripture. As we feed as sheep together, may we grow strong and follow. And Jesus, as a church, we take your words to heart. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Father, I send your people back to their homes. May you bless them and keep them. May those who are mature remember the words of Jesus, if you love me, feed my sheep. May you raise up more and more people who will teach the word to others. May all of us identify with Christ, not ashamed to call ourselves believers, born again, blood-washed children of God. Bless this work. Bless our children our parents, and bring many more souls to Christ. Destroy the works of the evil one, Lord Jesus, and all for the glory of God. Keep us from the evil one, as you prayed in John 17. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.